0: Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchange's World News Roundup for Saturday, April 29th, and Sunday, April 30th, 2023. Uh, there are a few, a couple anniversaries of note. Uh, in this. Uh, on April 29th, 1916, uh, a British army that was besieged at the city of Kut in Iraq surrendered to the Ottomans. This was the worst military disaster, arguably, in all the long history of the British Empire to that point. Uh, it was absolutely a catastrophe for them. Uh, obviously, they turned it around, World War I ending how it did, uh, but this was definitely a low point for the Brits. It's an interesting story. You might want to check it out. It's uh, uh, I have a little thing about it at the newsletter. Most of it is about the aftermath, uh, the commander of the British Forces Charles Townsend uh, was feted by the Ottomans, taken to uh, Istanbul and treated with the uh, greatest of uh, amenities. While his men were marched overland, and thousands of them uh, died, they were put in prison camp, just horribly mistreated. But uh, he didn't really seem to care. He was drinking uh, nice drinks and sitting on the on the water in Istanbul and having a grand old time. Uh, just a lot of good good example of how World War One. Uh, went for most people. Uh, on April 30th, 1803, U.S. Representatives Robert Livingston and James Monroe, and French Representative Francois Baube. Mabois, sorry, I know my French, signed the Louisiana Purchase Treaty in Paris, which ceded France's vast Louisiana territory in North America, to the United States, roughly doubling the young nation's size in return for a cool $15 million. Uh, Livingston and Monroe were there intending to negotiate the purchase of just the port city of New Orleans. They were prepared to pay up to $10 million just for the one city, but Napoleon uh, needed cash. Uh, and didn't need really a big chunk of land in North America. Uh, he also needed peaceful relations with the United States. Uh, so he was willing to sell the entire territory for just a little bit more, just 50% more. Uh, and that was uh, that was it. Uh, of course, most of the Louisiana territory was not really Napoleon's to sell. You could argue none of it was. It still belonged to various indigenous tribes. Uh, but in purchasing it, of course, the U.S. bought the right to then go and claim that land by whatever means it chose. Uh, and I think the history is pretty clear on that score. Uh, also on April 30th, 1975, the North Vietnamese Army in Viet Cong captured Saigon, bringing the Vietnam War to a final close. The North Vietnamese had begun their assault on the city the day before when the remaining U.S. personnel in Saigon began an evacuation. This is known as Operation Frequent Wind, which cleared out the U.S. Embassy, moved about 7,000 U.S. and Vietnamese nationals out of the country in the largest helicopter evacuation in history. I'm sure you have seen the pictures and or video. Uh, The North Vietnamese government, uh, which really wasn't the North Vietnamese government anymore, if you think about it, uh, renamed Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. And this date is, of course, commemorated every year in Vietnam as Reunification Day. On to the news in the Middle East. In Syria. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced triumphantly on Sunday that Turkish intelligence operatives had killed Islamic State caliph, uh, put that in quotes, Abul Hussein al-Husseini al-Qareshi, which is of course not his real name, in Syria the previous day. They apparently found him in the town of Jinderez uh, in northern Syria's Aleppo province. Uh, which is under the control of Turkey and its Syrian rebel proxies. It's been very badly hit by the earthquake, the recent earthquakes. Uh, Qureshi uh, is slash was Islamic State's fourth leader, and assuming that he really is indeed no longer among us, would be the fourth to be killed in action, so to speak. Um, come to think of it, I bet Islamic State saves a lot of money on pension plans uh, for its leaders, uh, since they don't seem to survive into retirement. Uh, it, he took over the organization in late November and ruled so briefly. briefly. Briefly, that I'm not even sure, frankly, that anybody had enough time to develop a good theory as to his real identity. Uh, On to Turkey. Uh, Erdogan, uh, as you might have guessed from the above, is out and about. He hit the campaign trail on Saturday after a three-day absence due to illness. Uh, So if anybody out there was harboring any secret theory about what was ailing him, if you had something in your office pool, heart attack, stroke, he had to go home because his planet needed him, uh, etc., I think it's reasonable to conclude conclude that whatever it was was not life-threatening. Uh, in Israel, Palestine, there's a piece uh, at Jacobin by Palestinian activist Khalida Jarar discussing life under Israeli occupation and in particular under the current Israeli government. I will read you a, a couple short paragraphs of her piece. There is an escalation of the violence with this new fascist government. All Israeli governments violate the rights of Palestinians by arresting and killing people, but we look at this new government and see people like Israeli Minister of Finance Bezalel Smotrich or Ben Gvir, who was convicted of terrorism against Palestinians by Israeli police. Uh, Now he's not just part of the Israeli government, he's the Minister for National Security. Ben-Gvir has threatened more laws against prisoners and wants to bring in capital punishment. Uh, As minister, uh, he announced his support for and gave a gift to a soldier who killed a Palestinian civilian in Shuafat refugee camp. Uh, The the soldier beat the man and shot him at point blank. Ben-Gvir is not a civilian or even just a settler. He is an Israeli cabinet minister. Ben-Gvir told the soldier that he appreciated what he did and the world kept silent. They also note in the piece that since this interview, since the interview was was conducted with her, uh, Israel has approved a uh, the National Guard under Ben Gvir's command. uh, So that that should be uh, even even more power in his hands to uh, deal violence to the Arabs in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Uh, In Iran, according to Reuters, there is a strong likelihood that the Iranian Navy seizure of an oil tanker uh, on Thursday, the Advantage Suite, in the Gulf of Oman. We talked about this in Thursday's newsletter, was carried out in retaliation for the U.S. Navy's seizure of an Iranian oil tanker on the high seas several days earlier. The ship and its cargo were deemed, of course, to violate U.S. sanctions. The timing of the Iranian action and the technical similarities, various technical similarities between the two tankers in question makes it very hard to believe that Thursday's move was just coincidental. On a related note, the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday that the U.S. military is now sending bunker buster bombs to the Middle East to be mounted on A-10 warthog aircraft flying cover for U.S. forces in Syria. Uh, according to the uh, journal, this is somehow supposed to send a message to Iran about how committed the U.S. is to, I guess, killing Iran, uh, killing Syrian militia fighters, which the Iranians haven't figured out yet somehow. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what the logic is here. Anyway, uh, you know, mes- message uh, I guess. Uh, on to Asia and Armenia. Armenian Foreign Minister Ararat Mirzoyan arrived in Washington on Sunday for talks, I guess, uh, to try to restart the very stalled out Armenian-Azerbaijani peace process. <laughs> Uh, I say I guess because from what I can tell, there's been no acknowledgement from Azerbaijan that any talks are happening, nor is there any indication that they have sent anyone to DC. Uh, this does not fill me with optimism about the chances for a major diplomatic breakthrough, but I suppose uh, we shall see. In Uzbekistan, Uzbek voters headed to the polls on Sunday for a constitutional referendum, the main purpose of which is to allow President Shavkat Mirziyoyev to remain in office beyond the 2026 end of his current second term. The proposed constitutional amendments deal with a number of civil rights issues, labor rights, education, and legal process matters, uh, but the headline is a clause that would change presidential terms from five to seven years. If interpreted strictly... Uh, this would allow Mirziyoyev to stay in office until 2018. If interpreted the way Mirziyoyev interprets it, the change would reset his term counter to zero and allow him to run two more times under the new setup. Results won't be available until Monday. Uh, Mirziyoyev seems to be very fairly popular in Uzbekistan, so it's likely his referendum will win legitimately, though uh, despite his reputation as a relative liberal by Central Asian standards, I suspect he'll make sure the official outcome come to his liking regardless of how the actual vote goes uh, in Afghanistan uh, last weekend the Washington Post published a terrifying story Uh, suggesting that Islamic State is using Afghanistan as a, quote, terrorism staging ground. You may remember this. We covered this in last Sunday's newsletter. I I just noted the very silly report and dismissed it. Uh, I laughed at some of the phrasing and moved on. Seeing as how Islamic State has not actually been able to carry out any international terrorist attacks via Afghanistan, you would think that would be the end of the story, but apparently not as far as the Post is concerned. Uh, I mention this because Robert Wright gave it a more thorough treatment uh, at his non-zero newsletter uh, it's a locked piece, but they reprinted it uh, at Responsible Statecraft, and I've linked to that if you're interested in checking it out. Uh, he rightly points out that the piece is framed so as to support critics of the U.S. decision to withdraw from Afghanistan and their sort of hair-on-fire warnings the terrorists would use Afghanistan to hatch their vile plans and schemes. Uh, unfortunately for those folks, reality has shown exactly the opposite because they have not done that, uh, but the Post reporters just sort of elide that uncomfortable fact in their peace. Uh, that you can't this consent's not going to manufacture itself, folks. Uh, in Africa, in Sudan, the Sudanese military and the Rapid Support Forces paramilitary unit have agreed once again to extend their ceasefire, which had been scheduled to expire at midnight local time, for another seventy two hours. They could probably streamline things and just extend it indefinitely, extend it to the heat death of the universe, who cares seeing as how they've kept on fighting anyway, despite the ceasefire. Uh, In a bit of gallows humor, in their extension announcement, each side accused the other of ceasefire violations. And look, they're both right, so at least that's something. Uh, The fighting on the ground remains heaviest in and around Khartoum, as well as in Darfur. Uh, It continues to show indications of a stalemate, Uh, by and large, with the Sudanese military now apparently calling up members of the National Police Force in an effort to bolster its manpower. As the fighting continues, there are growing concerns about Sudanese civilians, especially those trapped in areas of heavy fighting without easy access to food, water, medical care, and other basic needs. Martin Griffiths, the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs, is reportedly heading to the region to try to coordinate relief efforts. The Red Cross organized a major airlift of supplies into Sudan on Sunday, but there are huge logistical hurdles to distributing that aid and a real threat that it could be looted by one or even both sides. And a genuine piece of good news, the UN's refugee office has finally been able to set up shop and deploy resources in Egypt to help care for the large number of Sudanese refugees who have entered that country over the past two weeks. Estimates on the number of displaced Sudanese civilians have now reached into the hundreds of thousands, with many still attempting to get across one of the country's borders. Uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the Kodeko uh, militia, the infamous Kodeko militia, is believed to have been responsible for attacks on three villages in the eastern DRC Zaturi province on Sunday. At least eight people were killed in total. On to Europe and Russia. According to Russian authorities, Ukrainian artillery fire struck a village in Russia's Bryansk Oblast on Saturday, killing at least four people. The village in question lies around 10 kilometers from the Ukrainian border, which would seem to put it within reach of Ukrainian artillery. Uh, In Ukraine, uh, speaking of things that are within range of Ukrainian weapons, let's talk about Crimea, where a Ukrainian drone strike appears to have caused a fire at a fuel storage facility in Sevastopol on Saturday. Ukrainian officials never officially claim responsibility for attacks inside Russia or in Crimea, but they certainly offer abundant winks and nods in that direction. And that was the case in this instance. Uh, The the incident does not appear to have caused anything any casualties. Elsewhere, the situation in Bakhmut seems to be unchanged, by which I mean the Russians are claiming small advances and the Ukrainians are insisting that everything is fine. Uh, Wagner Group boss Yevgeny Prigozhin... Uh, even has even resumed his previous complaining uh, that about his fighters being deprived of ammunition by the Russian military he's apparently now threatening to pull his fighters back from the front line which would be a significant development if it were to happen but I would say is highly unlikely and in the Americas in Paraguay Paraguayan voters went to the polls on Sunday and appear to have decided to keep things pretty much the way they are now Uh, There may still be a few votes left to count, Uh, who knows by the time you listen to this, Uh, but former finance minister Santiago Pena of Paraguay's ruling Colorado party looks to have an insurmountable edge in the race to become the country's next president, holding a roughly 15-point lead at last count over opposition candidate Efrain Alegre. Uh, It will take more time to assess the legislative and gubernatorial results, but Colorado uh, also seems to be doing quite well in those areas. This result will be very welcome in Taiwan, which counts Paraguay as one of the 13 states with which it still has diplomatic relations. Alegre had suggested that he might switch recognition to Beijing, but Peña has pledged to maintain ties with Taipei. And finally, in the United States, uh, there is a very long and really brilliant, I think, historical examination of the NATO alliance in New Left Review by Gray Anderson uh, that I have linked to in the newsletter. I'm not going to pull out an excerpt because there really isn't one that I could read that would do justice. I did uh, leave the first two paragraphs of the piece in, in the newsletter, in the uh, if you're reading it. Uh, but uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It's it's a just formidable uh, piece of work, and and really covers uh, the whole history of the NATO alliance and what what has really been going on uh, in terms of its not just its role in foreign policy, but its role domestically in member states, and uh, just a lot of detail. I think it's a it's a really tour de force. So I would highly recommend uh, that you check that out. And that is it for us tonight. Uh, As always, I want to thank you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks to those of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers, especially those of you who are paid foreign exchanges subscribers. And if you're not one of those, please consider it because it is the thing that keeps this newsletter going. Uh, So if you appreciate the newsletter, uh, please, please think about supporting it. That would be a, a big help. Uh, Until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.